kind of a number five on Surprise the World. It's a book we're doing together. And uh, the book is a very simple book. It's a small book. And it's about five habits of highly missional people. And it's just five things we can do to be missional about what Jesus did. And the book is about changing habits. And changing habits is, is never easy. And so changing habits kind of requires that we, um, uh, we kind of become intentional about what habits we want to change. And then we kind of press that into service, even against kind of normal habits. And it also is helpful if we have other people around us that are also working on their habits, and we can do that together. And so that's kind of what this is about. Uh, and we introduced this acronym from the book, BELLS, uh, to bless, to eat, to listen, to learn, and to be sent. And so that's kind of where uh, we start the story. Uh, it, and, and what it brings together is, can we become a questionable people? And, and I know that sounds negative, but it's really keying off a verse in the scripture about be ready with an answer for the hope that is in you. Of course, for someone to ask you about the hope in you would mean they would have to see hope in you. And to see hope in you, you would have to be a hopeful person. And you would have to have hope that's more than enough to sustain your life and breathing, but it would have to be a hope that actually is getting on people for them to go, explain the hope in you. See, that's a questionable person. Years ago, uh, I was traveling on business. I was in the L.A. area. And my mother had this um, recommendation. You should take one of those tours of the stars' homes. I'm not really a tour of the stars' homes kind of guy. But for some reason, I decided I'm going to do it. So I get one of these gray line tours, and I you know, get the ticket. And they got this giant bus you're getting on with other uh, tourists, uh, and I did not see myself as a tourist, but clearly I was in this moment. I get on this bus, and this bus is a giant, you know, giant, full-size bus, a very nice bus. And as we get on the bus, I realize there's like a total of nine other people on this bus. This looks like it's kind of the loser tour, you know, if I were to use language. Not only that, I was the only guy on the bus, and I was the only person under 60. And this was a long time ago. I was very under 60 at this moment. And I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be a really long night, you know. I wonder if I can get it to drop me off somewhere. So we're going along, and I'm actually having a nice time talking to these old ladies, and, um, and this bus was making, it was going to these different places. And, uh, and, and so actually people were getting off the bus. So our numbers were going down as we went along. And so I'm there in front of Cary Grant's house with like three old ladies wondering, God, what am I doing here? And then we make the turn back around. We got a, like a drink at a hotel or something like that. And then we made the rounds coming back around from seeing the stars houses. And we're picking up the old ladies going in reverse. And, and as I'm talking to these ladies that had just visited the Playboy Club, 
and, and we're back on the bus, we're going along, and so um, they realized as we're coming to their hotel that one of them had left their watch at the Playboy Club. <laughs> Being the nice guy that I am, and I had a rent car at my hotel, I said, I will suffer and go to the Playboy Club for you and get your watch. I know, I know, what a guy. So uh, I really didn't have any intentions of like visiting the Playboy Club. So, uh, so anyway, I get in my rent car, they're very nice, and so I drive over to the Playboy Club and I say, I understand a, a lady left her watch here, and they said yes, and they gave me the watch and I left. And I'm taking... Twenty-seven years old. He wasn't married. Had no kids. He was an only child, and uh, you know he made a terrible mistake. He made a terrible mistake, and I had my my niece um, was at the trial, and then there was another young lady that was about fifteen, sixteen. Uh, her dad was the other guy that was killed, and they have a moment where you get to address. The, um, the the person that committed the, the crime. And so they call you up. And it's, it's really not kind of like you see on TV. <laughs> it's, it's just not. But, you know, the courtroom is is filled with other people, with other cases that are going on, believe it or not. They're, you know, it's not just we've got this one courtroom and everybody's in there for that one case. It's like it's stacks of files and, you know, very hurtful and, um, you know, just think that they were feeling, you know, the loss of, of their fathers. And um, I had the opportunity, my dad got up and he spoke and, and then I, I got up and, and the only thing that I could think about was my, my brother and all the struggles that he's had with, with drugs and alcohol and in and out of jail and prison, um, living out on the streets and, you know, just back and forth, 
I'll tell you this. He, he actually uh, was very involved in a uh, uh, outreach ministry for the homeless and uh, loved Jesus. Loved Jesus. And it would, matter of fact, people would see him coming and they would know that he'd, he was going to be preaching at them. You know, and that was, that was uh, my brother, even there in Galveston. There's a large homeless population in Galveston. So he served at a, uh, a kitchen where he would cook and he would feed the guys that lived on the street uh, and worked in the ministry there. Um, but what I got to tell that young man is I, I actually got a, a moment to, to let him know if my brother was here, the, the one thing he would tell you is that um, he would forgive you. And uh, he would want you to know that Jesus loves you and that Jesus is real and uh, Jesus is the only thing that um, – will bring, you know, joy and peace and, um, you know, uh, comfort to you in this in this time. And so, you know, as they're sharing that at the court and, you know, it's just and the thing I was trying to tell him was, you know, you can't find your identity in what you did, like what happens, because people are going to label you as this guy that that killed somebody and you went to jail for it. And you can't find your identity in that, that your identity, my brother would tell you, would be found in Jesus. And um, so I got to share that. And it, was, it wasn't easy looking at that young man, but I knew it was true. And um, I knew that that's the word that needed to be said. And what it not only did was bring comfort to the young man, but to his parents. They were just in the back, just a mess. Like, you know, emotionally, um, I got to go see the father and his mother. And, and we embraced there in the back of the court because what do you do? You're the only child, and and not to not to judge or not to bring shame or guilt, but to bring hope and restoration and um, point them to something bigger than what the world will show them. And those are the moments, those tough times. I think Bill's talking about that we we, we walk it out, and we, we have a choice. You know, uh, we could choose to use the tools of the world world, or we use what God has given us and and love and forgiveness, and uh, we see the fruit of that. So. Mm. Thank you. <coughs> there is a cost to us. There is a risk to be had. And when we speak into those circumstances, which appear to have very little hope, you see, that's when somebody who follows Jesus goes to work. That's our moment. In difficult moments. That's why he, he focused on them so much. It's not just in difficult moments. But you see in that moment, others are not stepping up to bless very often. It's easy for us to sit back and look at a person. You know, they're a drug addict or they're lazy or they're this or they're that. And, and all those things might be true. You won't hold down a job, you won't this, you won't that, you're this, you're that. And it's safe to do that, isn't it? Because that person's life just kind of exemplifies those things. And we can get behind the phrase, well, it's true. Well, it's true. But you see, there's no risk for you and I in that, is there? There's no risk. I haven't stepped out and bought the pearl because the pearl will cost 
more than just the obvious truth. Remember, we traffic in the unseen. It's the unseen is where we make the money. That's where it's at, right there. You see, anybody can look at somebody struggling and go, oh, well, they're this, they're that. Doesn't take any faith. It doesn't take trust. It doesn't take anything to use obvious labels for someone. But what about to take the risk and speak the unspoken and to call out the unseen? That's where the risk is. To tell the young man, here's what my brother says, and, and, and Jeff is speaking out on behalf. I forgive you. I set you free. In uh, John chapter 8, the woman is caught in adultery. They bring the, the woman to Jesus. And, you know, the law was saying to stone this woman to death. And Jesus said, well, the one here who has no sin, why don't you be the first one to throw a stone? And they all walked away. You see, he was the only one who did not have a sin, and he said, I'm not going to condemn you. Very questionable. Very questionable. Difficult times are the times that we will experience the cost of the pearl of great price. But it will often require that we see what is not seen and what we call out what is not there. Uh, I, this is a person who couldn't be here today, but uh, here's a text exchange I want to share with you. I believe this was Monday, and it came in like this because we're talking about, you know, blessing people. It says, ugh, I already failed the challenge. I sent the, the text. We know what that means. I sent the text instead of a blessing. I sent the text. I called it what it was. The response to this person. See, this is how we help one another. Okay, but you're still moving forward. Why can we say this failing person is still moving forward? It's because they know they failed. A week ago, it was just sending the truth. Now we know there's something more to offer. It goes on. You're still moving forward. If you can fix something, then fix it. Text again. Be honest that your desire to be different than your previous text indicates. If you can't fix it, you are better ready for the next one. Go for it. Response, okay, thanks, but what if I really meant what I said? Classic. I absolutely believe you meant what you said. 
People would like to think they're most honest when they're angry. I hate you, you know, and all of a sudden you go, I knew it all along. So there's this conversation that comes after this, what if I meant it? I meant what I said. So we have a conversation, and then it comes back. This is the follow-up text. Although the things I text are how I feel. I like that. That has to be true for you to feel it, doesn't it? Although the things I text are how I feel, I should not have said it meaning that way. When I get mad and express myself with ugly words, it fails to show the positive part of you. I fail to show your strength. I was bashing the part of you, but not lifting up the genuine, caring, strong person you are. I apologize for saying how I feel about one thing and making it out that you're a horrible person. You're not a horrible person. You're a very valuable person. Isn't that great? See, it was honest. But see, it reached beyond the event. It reached for the good things. We have the capacity to call out the good in people. Even the stuff that nobody sees. And when I look at someone and they're a struggling person, it is my obligation as a follower of Jesus to say, Jesus, what would you like to call out of this person today? What would you like to highlight as a value and a strength in them to give them hope and affirm who they are? Let's take this moment of sadness, this moment of, of disgust, this moment of whatever it is, and in this moment, let's reclaim the light. Let's set the stage. Let's go forward. This is our moment. You see, this took a lot of work. It was a lot of work to do this. By the way, the person had an amazing response to this. You see, our role, what I have to give, is I have what I would consider sometimes justice for me or mine. Or maybe I consider it my honor. Or maybe it's fairness. Or maybe it's my money. Or maybe it's my time. Whatever it is, I feel like you're abusing. I have that to give on your behalf. I can give up my rights and those things in order that I might be a part of what God is doing on the stage of your life. That's all it's going to cost me. This, you know, my honor, my dignity, my time, my money, my justice, my desires, my hopes, my dreams. That's all it's going to cost. Nothing else. Just everything important to me in this moment. And Jesus says, but if you can figure out how to allow me to make that trade inside of you, if you will trust me in that, what you will gain is beyond your dreams. That's the trade. That's the pearl of great price. 
We're going to have the clip that we were going to have last week. Um, and uh, uh, James, go ahead and change this to the next screen. Uh, this is from Angels in the Outfield. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's from like 1994, and so there's not a really a spoiler alert here. Uh, or, or if there is, shame on you, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Not shame on anybody. But, but the coach of the team is an angry guy. Uh, you know, one of my favorite lines from him is when this little uh, kid right here, uh, down here, he's real shy and he's afraid and he's had a difficult life. And, and uh, so it, his buddy, the one with the arms out, speaks for him and says, well, he's, he doesn't like strangers. So the coach says, me neither. He said, I don't even like my friends. So that's who the coach is. That's what he's like. Um, and, and the coach doesn't like this pitcher that's in the game. He's a washed-up pitcher, and he tried to get rid of him at another team. So now he feels stuck with him. And so the Angels have been helping them win ball games. But this is a playoff game, championship game, and uh, allegedly the Angels of God don't really help in playoff games. That seems like a technicality to me, but that is the movie. So we're going to pick up. And so when an angel shows up, the kid, this is the symbol that the angel there, because only the kid can see it. All right. So that's the, that's no. the setup. Please just let him try. And, and he, he, can't, he can't play anymore. Yes, he can. All he has to do is believe. say is it's about time I got nothing left yeah you do you got one strike left you right now just got here and he's going to help kid sees an angel yeah he must that's the signal
Good clip, isn't it? You see, he was struggling. He said, I got nothing left. Yes, you do. One more try. It's not just the pitcher's championships. It's the coach's championships. You see, he spoke into someone. Think about your ability and your power to invest in someone's life in just such a way. It changes everything. Seeing the unseen is not about seeing traps. Seeing the unseen is about seeing the good things the world needs to know today. Calling out good things. And people are tired, cynical, hateful, angry. And we call out good things in them. You see, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. When we will stand in the gap, and we will speak things that are not so as to save them. When we will stand in the center of people who can't or don't even believe in themselves. And we stand without apology and we speak bold words of goodness into their life. We call out life from them when we become that instrument of heaven. You see, when you are blessing people, when you're looking for these opportunities, small and large, 
when you invest in people, when you call out the unseen, when you step into difficult situations with people, when they're ugly and when they're judgmental and when they're cynical and you speak good things in them and over them. You stand in the gap for people. You can't do it yourself. You, in that moment, become someone paying for the pearls to be cost. You become the greatest investor. Europe. You've got more in you. You've got more. And see, that's the key. When we can reveal what people have lost in their souls. See, now we have become powerful game changers. For Jeff, what God had him do on that day in the courtroom. My hope and my prayer is they will remember that. I appreciate the feelings of others, and I know that those feelings are real and justified. But we know a child gave up her dad as he walked down the aisle. We, we really do understand those losses. But that's the seed. The unseen is where we get away. And it's all around you. And it's in the people. In the strangest places. We have more stories, but we have no time. So we'll save more stories for next week. I encourage you, bring your stories. By next week, we'll have a kind of a blessing board. I don't know what it's going to be called, but it's a place that we can start kind of keeping track, not of names or places or things like that, but how we're doing together. This week has been a great blessing for me. I've had the opportunity to bless others, uh, but I can tell you, a text, a phone call can mean the world. I'm going to tell one quick one, you know, Kevin is sitting here today and, and he's been trying to get a hold of me and hasn't been very successful. And when I don't get to his text, then I get a text, how can I pray for you? Not why are you dissing me? How can I pray for you? And then he shows up on Sunday morning to see me. That's a blessing. Father, thank you for this morning. If you would rise, please. Lord, first of all, thank you that it is your heart. You call good things out in us. You speak things over us. Lord, you've given us an amazing privilege to play that role with others. 
two fifty.